Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Aaron Armstrong on what it means to live in the light of the second coming of Christ. And so we can we can keep going um, in the midst of trial and difficulty and strife and genuine persecution, as so many people have done for 2,000 years, because we know that what's waiting for us at the end is worth it. Aaron Armstrong, next. The Bible teaches Jesus will one day return, which Christians joyfully anticipate. Although the biblical teaching isn't extensive, it does explain some of what to expect when Jesus returns. How should this knowledge affect the believer's life now on earth? That's what author and speaker Aaron Armstrong writes about in his piece, Living in Light of the Second Coming of Christ. Aaron, tell us what prompted you to write on this subject. I mean, it's always just something that is... um a little bit on my mind, uh, lots of different theological topics and how they apply to our life right now. So, um, and because I'm a bit quirky, I'll, I'll go from, you know, thinking about the problem of evil to how providence works to things like, to, to things like the second coming. Um, and, uh, but from a practical standpoint, a lot of it, it, it a lot of it has been, born out of just looking at how people interact with how we approach society and different changes that are going on in the world and how we can be more effective witnesses for Jesus in in that. And, um, and that got me thinking about, okay, so if we look at everything in totality, we know how the story ends. So yep. how should that inform how we how we live right now? Well, you you write early on that most science fiction stories are built around two visions of the future. What what are mm -hmm. those? What are those uh, examples? Yeah, yeah. So there's um, there's a couple of different approaches that that science fiction often takes. And uh, full disclosure, I am a giant nerd, so mm -hmm. I really really love science fiction okay. and um, grew up on watching Star Trek and Star Wars and have those fights all day long. Now. Um, about which one is better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, but the two basic ideas is, is that typically um, science fiction is built around two common tropes. The first is um, the idea of a dystopian nightmare. And so this is basically where everything has gone as horrible as it possibly can. And so this is, and we're left picking up the pieces and trying to figure out what life looks like going forward. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's, you know, The Hunger Games, that's Handmaid's Tale, that's uh, Back to the Future 2, at least for the the time period where, where Biff Tan's taken over Hill Valley, all that kind of stuff. Then there's the uh, opposite trope, which is the utopian fantasy. And so um, this is where humanity has uh, basically self-actualized into its best possible form and, um, you know, put aside all of our, you know, all of our troubling aspects of ourselves and, and educated ourselves or 
into into being better people um at the end and this this really is um kind of where star trek comes in again for me is because that's really the the idealized view that um that that series's creator had was that at a certain point we would just get better um after all of our problems and that we would live in harmony and be conflict free mm. and we would be able to tell tell everybody else in the universe how to be better people that's the utopian it's, idea absolutely that's a, that's a version of it for sure we can look at those things and we can port those ideas in into our reading of scripture as well and so um and the 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 difficulty is is that scripture doesn't give us purely either of those things it gives us both at the same time in that the the thrust of the of the the story of scripture is ultimately to um a true utopia um where uh but not one out of our own self-actualization it's not something that we make ourselves it's something that god brings about through the work of Jesus. But we also see there, that there's there are these darker aspects that before we get there, we see both God's goodness at work in the world and we see evil in and human sinfulness at work in the world all the way up until the end. Um, and we and and so we we have to hold those two things together at the same time. You write that mm -hmm. whether a dystopian or a utopian view, and, and these are obviously uh, things that man either makes or causes, but you say mm -hmm. those visions are really too small when you compare them to the visions of Christianity and uh, and the return of Christ. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I mean, it really comes back to the, the perspective of, it, of whose job is it to fix it or who has made it. Um, so on the when it comes to the dystopia, it's humanity's job to uh, to repair the damage that we've done. And in a utopian vision, it's aren't we all great people? Because look at what we did. <laughs> and yeah. so both are kind of the height of arrogance, really. And which is why which is why a moment ago I said the thing about these things is, is that the future that we have, the future that we know is coming because of what God has revealed to us in scripture, even though we don't understand it fully and, and truly we can't know everything about it. We do know that any vision that we have is going to be too small because we usually take God out of the equation in those things. Mm -hmm. So we need him there. We're talking about living in light of the second coming of Christ with Aaron Armstrong. He's the author of a number of books and uh, he uh, is a speaker and we've, uh, spoken with him before at least a couple of times on his people. And, well, Aaron, you write that the second coming of Christ is, uh, at least for some people, and I, I'm not sure if just people who aren't believers in Jesus or maybe those who are as well, it's a topic that, that some may largely avoid uh, talking about. What, what are some of the reasons why, why some might want to talk about something else? Yeah, well, I mean, for for non Christians, largely it's not an issue because they don't they don't think Jesus is real anyway. So so it's it's not even on their radar. But for for Christians, um, we can get a little bit squeamish around this, partly because we sometimes put the wrong emphasis on on uh, we put the emphasis on the wrong syllable of 
of our eschatology, so our our theology of, of the end times. Um, and so we see that played out in um, lots of different weird internet memes that we see. We there's some pretty pretty um, quirky speculative fi fiction out there. Um, or there's, there's stuff that makes, you know, makes for a good story, but people take it too far in turn and use it as the foundation of their theology. Um, there's also the problems of, uh, false teachers who have, um, repeatedly attempted to predict the exact date and time when Jesus is going to come back and they always end up wrong. And so these are things that, kind of like they ultimately lead us to be like well if we don't know then what's the point in in even even talking about this or they've or they live in fear of uh, of it and so they don't want to because it just makes them uncomfortable well it's interesting that you uh, one thing that you touch on is uh, some may have heard a lot about the second coming of Christ growing up and it sounded more like a dystopian nightmare because well at least for some, they, there were movies that came out uh, 40 or 50 years ago that, that that was kind of the picture that was painted. Yeah. Um, and anyway, I can see how they could go that way. For sure. And I mean, as someone who didn't grow up with any, with any of that, um, in a lot of ways, I feel like I'm, I'm really blessed to have kind of a clean slate when it comes to, when it comes to a perspective on, on that, um, because I see friends who struggle with it and, and it's, and it's tough to, to, to be able to help them see, you know, there's good news here and we need to pay attention to this. I wonder if I could come back to something you said yeah. and, and uh, people that are really familiar with the terrain of the internet are going to know what you said, but you, you said uh, one thing that can cause people to maybe avoid uh, talking about the second coming of Christ is they've been exposed to weird internet memes. Can you, define what you mean by that and then give an example so it'll be things like um so so in memes that have a different have uh there are a couple of different approaches that they take some are uh basically you're like they're either static or or um gif images that are used to to basically make it to to tease about um, a different topic. One of the ones that we often will see is when it comes to anyone talking about eschatology or the end times um, or the second coming uh, will will be one of um, kind of a crazed looking guy pointing at a whole bunch of charts and, you know, spinning his hand around and and doing a, trying to convince people kind of thing. So it has a bit of a tin tinfoil hat brigade feel to it um, as a result. Um, and you'll see, um, but you also see it in, um, in, in other ways too, just in like the, the language that people will use around the end times and will make, and will, um, some people who are, you know, a bit jaded, um, and are trying to re either they've gone through this period of, um, or are going through a period of deconstruction type of thing. Um, whether that leads to apostasy or renewed faithfulness, there's a whole, that's a whole nother debate. Yeah. <laughs> um, but some will take those things that they um, that they heard growing up and will spin them, and so those kind of become essentially another type of meme or trope as well. And so it'll be like 
basically, um, oh, there's potholes because, you know, you know, the pothole, the potholes um, that are in in our in Nashville are a sign of persecution. Um, and therefore, the end time is coming, <laughs> um, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so just to give the most ridiculous example possible. Well, we're talking about living in light of the second coming of Christ. There are many things, many approaches to the second coming of Christ, as you've just said, uh, Aaron. People may uh, avoid that subject for some of the reasons you just went down. But so, so coming to the Bible, because that's where we obviously get the idea of the second coming of Christ, what, what does Scripture actually say about Jesus' return and the things uh, that follow? Yeah, well, there's a handful of things that it that it does say and does say clearly, but one of the one of the first things that we do need to know is that when we come to scripture, the Bible's actually very open ended about a lot of it. In that there's a lot of mystery, and God's chosen not to reveal certain things to us for our good, um, because. Those things are those things are not necessarily the point of what we're supposed to be trying to figure out. So we're not necessarily supposed to be um, trying to find a one-to-one equivalent to certain certain aspects of imagery that's in in the Book of Revelation. Just just for example, but what we do know is that uh, is is a few key things, um, and Matthew's Gospel speaks a great deal to this. So when it comes to the return of Christ, we know um, we know according to Matthew twenty four and twenty five that his return will be unexpected. So we don't know the date or time, but when it happens, everyone will notice. So no, there is no one who is not going to know that Jesus showed up. So if you've ever worried that you know maybe you've missed it, don't worry, you haven't missed it you'll know. Ad- additionally, when Jesus returns, he's going to have a physical body. So he he ascended to heaven in his physical body. He mm-hmm. took his phys- his physical human body with him in its glorified state um where it exists now. He when he returns, he will also have a physical body. When he returns as well, his his full power and glory will be seen by all. So that again goes to everyone's going to notice because you can't not notice Jesus in his in his godness. Additionally, and this is this is kind of the scary part for a lot of people is that Jesus when Jesus returns, it's with the per, the express purpose of judging both the righteous and the unrighteous. So those who are faithful, the righteous, they will be they will be judged according to according to what they have done in light of their faith in Jesus. And so it's a it's a judgment toward our heavenly reward for the for the unrighteous, those who have refused to um, repent, who have refused to turn to Jesus in faith. It is for their condemnation. Um, to receive the reward of what they have done in this life. And finally, we know when it comes to his return, much like it's unexpected, it'll be unexpected, only the Father knows when it's going to be. So again, you can't predict it, even if you, and uh, although this, you know, this statement, take it, take it in the way it's meant, listeners, please. 
Um, even if you could figure it out, which you can't, I feel like the father would just say, mm, nope, different day. <laughs> <laughs> if you now, could, yeah. If he, it, yeah, if you could, which you can't, and he won't because that leads you down a whole, a whole problematic rabbit trail of theology. So let's let our hypotheticals be hypotheticals. <laughs> well, it, right. And it was interesting. You said Jesus will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. And I think you made it pretty clear that obviously the righteous, meaning those who believed in Jesus on while on earth, the judgment mm -hmm. is not whether or not they're going to spend eternity with him in the new creation or in heaven and then uh, in, in the new, new heaven and the new earth, but rather, you said, uh, obviously, the judgment will deal with how they've lived their life, but uh, for rewards. But not, it's not a yes. salvation issue where with the the person who has not put their faith in Jesus, that is actually a yes. salvation issue. Yes, that's correct. It's it, for for those who believe it's, um, you know, the the imagery that we see is, you know, is is this differing shades of well done good and faithful servant mm. um and and it's how did you use what i gave you um for some of us we're going to be um you know elsewhere in scripture we're told you know that that some of us are going to be saved basically at, um by the skin of our teeth but we're still but we're saved and that's the important thing so it's it's not even degrees of savedness uh, because it's not it's not a matter of how much faith we have or how how effective we are in this life it's are we pursuing earnestly to the degree that we have faith and who is the object so if jesus is the object of our faith all that's all that matters ultimately well to recap what you said aaron about what the bible actually does say about Jesus' return and the things that happen after. And of course, this is a, this is a summary, a, sort of in a nutshell, but it will be unexpected. Every eye will notice or see him. Jesus will have a physical body as he did when he ascended to heaven. His power and glory will be fully seen. Jesus will judge the righteous and the unrighteous. Only the Father knows when that will be, when Jesus' return is. Uh, right. So we, since we, that's all true, people have set a particular date, it's going to be here we know that that isn't the date. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And then you talk about how the creation and our bodies, the bodies of believers in Jesus, will be affected uh, by his return, after his return. What, what can you tell us about that? Yeah, so, so the point of, the ultimate point of Jesus' return isn't simply to judge uh, the righteous and the unrighteous. It's the culmination of the Bible storyline, this, this creation to new creation narrative that's happening. And when Jesus returns, all things are going to be made new, and that includes us. So just as the world around us is made free of the effects of sin, so are our bodies going to be, and they'll be glorified like his is. And, and we get to live in this perfect holy world this 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 world that we could never fully imagine um as entirely holy people as people whose desires and identities are uncompromised by the sin that that affects us today and best of all in that we get to live in this perfect world 
in the presence of Jesus, whom we will see face to face for the first time. And you that's say, a big deal. It is. And, and you say that this promise of Jesus' second coming fuels our witness here and now. Yes. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. Because and it has to, because if we know that if we know how the story ends, it means that we don't need to live in fear. Um, so we we don't have to where we get to realize that we're we're playing we're playing life by a different game we're not merely playing playing the game of life by a different set of rules it's an entirely different one altogether so we don't live like other people because we're not other people we we walk we live distinctly from others in every sphere that we that we walk in um, and we do so with honesty, with integrity, with charity, and with hope and joy in in our hearts and minds. Um, that also means that we're going to be focused on our own shortcomings far more than we are on fault finding on the on the the problems of other people. Um, of course, we don't want to be, you know, indulgent or dismissive of sin. Um, in any way, shape, or form. But really what this just means is, is that um, we should not be surprised when non-Christians act like non-Christians. Instead, we need to be concerned about our own pursuit of holiness, both individually and as a collective people. Um, and in that, as we do that, we'll find that we are going to be far more tender-hearted toward non-Christians because we remember what we remember that we were non-Christians too at one point and that if Jesus saved us he can save anybody um and and that leads to this this final key this final key thing that um if we are people who have a vision of the new creation we are people with good news to share and that and really what that means is that Christianity is incredibly exclusive. It's radically exclusive because salvation is only found through faith in Jesus. But it's also radically inclusive that anyone and everyone who believes, no matter their background, their history, um, anything you can think of, they will be saved. And so the vision that we have for the future, the promise of Jesus' second coming and the new creation, that's for everyone who believes. And so we want to share that with as many people as we can, because we want as many people as possible to join in on that. You make a couple of uh, other interesting points, and I know our time is going quickly. I've got to let you go here in just a moment. You say that living in light of the second coming of Christ also acts as an antibody to false promises of the world. What does that yeah. look like? A big piece of that is, is that we're not going to be seeking, um, seeking status and power and wealth. Um, a lot of the things that unfortunately permeate a lot of, of Western evangelical culture at the moment. Um, and you know, we've, we've seen so many like depressing and troubling and tragic stories of people who have, used authority, like misused um, and abused authority, people who have pursued wealth and sought status 
um, in the name of Jesus, people who have manipulated and twisted God's word in order to gain power as well. Um, and people who have frankly been bamboozled by, um, by earthly, <laughs> um, authorities, mm -hmm. um, to try and, to try and gain some, some sort of status. Um, and this happens in every, every kind of sphere. If we have a perspective that is focused on Jesus's second coming and what's going to happen with that, we can see what's happening in the world and we can, we can certainly earnestly use all the means that are available to us in our particular context to, um, to affect change and to seek the good and flourishing of all people. But we also hold those those tools that are available to us very loosely. We don't define ourselves by those things. We don't um, we we work toward the good of all people, understanding that the ultimate good is not going to be brought about through political power or through anything like that. That that. It's only Jesus and always Jesus. And so we seek to be good witnesses and um, faithful people in the midst of that. And for our brothers and sisters um, who are experiencing persecution, uh, obviously, the uh, as my understanding, is one of the purposes of the book of Revelation is to strengthen believers in persecution with that hope. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. Like that's, that's kind of a key thing is, is that when, when we have that hope, it allows us to, it, it fights off despair. So it's, it's both an antibody to, to you, to misusing power, but it's also an antibody against despair. It, it protects us from those, from both of those things. Um, and, and so we can, we can keep going um, in the midst of trial and difficulty and strife and genuine persecution, as so many people have done for 2,000 years, because we know that what's waiting for us at the end is worth it. Well, the piece is Living in Light of the Second Coming of Christ, my guest, uh, the writer Aaron Armstrong. And Aaron, last thoughts, last words of encouragement about just that, Living in Light of the Second Coming of Christ? Yeah, I mean, what I would just encourage is if you're someone who has kind of avoided that topic for a long time, I would encourage go go to your Bible, um, you know, and prayerfully read it with an eye toward what motivated the apostles um, and what motivated Jesus in his humanity as well, because that was his, this ultimately was his motivation too. Um, as, as we see when he keeps talking about ascending to where, where the father was, um, and, and completing his work, we want to be refreshed in this. We want God, we want to be able to see what God has for us in this, this very important aspect of our faith that does take up a significant footprint in our Bible. Um, and so if God has seen fit that it that it should be there, then we then we want to embrace that. Well, Aaron, if people would like to read your piece, Living in Light of the Second Coming of Christ, where can they find that? Yeah, you can go to my website, aaronarmstrong.co. 
Um, and um, it'll be it'll be on the blog there and um, you can you can read it. You can share it with friends. Uh, you can uh, feel free to disagree with it and email me, too. That'd be great. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guest, writer and speaker, Aaron Armstrong. You can read his piece, Living in Light of the Second Coming of Christ, at aaronarmstrong.co. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Linda Green and here her daughter, Sarah Walton, on God's grace and the ups and downs of motherhood. Is this the sum of my parenting? Is just this mess that I see all the time that I feel like I have no answers for? And so you often don't see those answers in the, in the middle of it. It's really now looking back and seeing yeah. how God carried us through that I'm realizing the work he was doing in those years. And we're not out of it, but we're in a different version of it now. It is, you know, much better than where we were. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening. <laughs>